0: Up next, Rob Smith is problematic, part of the Gingrich 360
1: Network. In the wake of the George Floyd-Derek Chauvin verdict and the media's outrageous misreporting of the Micaiah Bryant shooting, their thirst to cause yet another racial controversy before all the facts were in, we have to have a real conversation about the media's role in these things, about policing, and about the facts that demonizing police can have on communities who need this policing the most. This is Rob Smith is problematic. The George Floyd, Derek Chauvin trial came to an end. Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all counts. And um, I, I want to get into something else that happened in, in the wake of that. So this was a uh, a young black girl named Micaiah Bryant. That was shot and killed by police officers in uh, Columbus, Ohio. You may have heard about this stuff. I talked a little bit about it yesterday. There has been um, a thickening of the plot and even more idiotic media reactions. But to give you a recap, um, this, this young girl, this is a 16-year-old black girl in Columbus, Ohio, was, um, was shot as she was wielding a knife at another young lady. And so the initial reports to this, uh, the initial reports just read, um, you know, in the wake of the, the George Floyd verdict, um, another uh, young black girl shot to death by police officers. And, and this was, you know, the Washington Post and NPR and, and you know, the, the usual sus- suspects reported it like this. And also, you know, as we all know, there's always a changing to the story. When the body cam footage came out, you found and you saw that this girl was literally about to stab uh, another girl. Uh, the the officer it happened very cla- very quickly. If you watch the video, the officer it seems like he was left with no choice. But this wasn't enough for the woke mob because I want to tell you um, how some of them responded to this initially. There is an uh, an activist named Brie Newsom. She was uh, a BLM activist. She was very famous for for scaling the uh, the flagpole in North Carolina or excuse me South Carolina and taking down the Confederate flag. She tweeted and I quote: "Teenagers have been having night." Excuse me. Teenagers have been having fights, including fights involving knives for eons. We do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene and using a weapon against one of the teenagers. So this is the the BLM take on all of this stuff. Valerie Jarrett, uh, probably one of the most powerful women in the world, said a black teenage girl named Micaiah Bryant was killed because a police officer immediately decided to shoot her multiple times in order to break up a knife fight. Demand accountability. Fight for justice. And so, just when you think that the left can't get any dumber, that they cannot get any more disconnected or divorced from reality, now we are basically at the point where we are condoning basically teenage knife fights, right? And so, and I'm going to tell you, um, there there's some new footage uh, from the fight. And there is a, a neighbor's reaction to everything that came out. And, and I really do um, want you to listen to this because it really does shine a lot of light on exactly what was happening. So uh, play uh, cut uh, 13 and 14 to me.
2: We've had a lot of people guess at what might have been his choices. Nine seconds he had to deal with a volatile situation. What, in your interpretation, were his choices in that moment?
3: Not much. He only, Like you said, he only had seconds um, to respond. Um, from my point of view, watching this, unfortunately, the whole scenario put him in a bad spot, regardless of what the situation was. He could have either not fired and the young lady in pink could have got stabbed in the neck or and been brutally or fatally injured and then responded and shot. And that would have been two young ladies possibly dead. Um, or he could have responded the way that he did. And unfortunately, one lady lost her life in an incident that probably could have
0: been avoided.
1: And so this is is where we are right now. And <clears throat> the thing about it is, and when we talk about this entire situation and I uh, I, I tweeted something this morning, you can follow me uh, at uh, Rob Smith online on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as, as well. But this is something that I tweeted. I said, why is nobody curious about the take of this other young lady whose life was saved by this cop? Why is nobody reaching out to her? why is nobody interviewing her why is nobody why does nobody care at all about this other young girl whose life was saved and i can tell you why nobody cares about her is because her life doesn't matter because it is not convenient to the narrative that they're trying to push and the the narrative that they're trying to push like this is where we are right now with the left when it comes to policing and all that stuff and by the way i always have to say a million times that this this is a, it's it's a tragedy no matter what it is a tragedy no matter what but nobody cares about this other young lady whose life was saved and there was i think there was a clip of this other girl as she was walking away she was like uh yeah you know she's about to stab me he got her and that to me is the craziest thing about this whole thing so you have people on the left that would literally they're saying that to be involved in a knife fight as a teenager is just a perfectly normal thing. It is perfectly normal for teenagers to just get into knife fights. And it is the police officer's fault for inter, intervening when the police officer was called to that scene because of the entire altercation. And I, it just, the, the stupidity of some of these people. Let me tell you something. When, Every thought that you have to put out is filtered through a political lens, which says that I'm liberal. So I have to think this and say this or I'm conservative. So I have to think this and say this. Then you lose all semblance of common sense. You lose common sense. And so these people that are talking about um, not having police officers break up knife fights, knife fights, uh, these people that are, are you know, making excuses for teenage knife fights, they are not speaking common sense. And they get even more crazier because I just I, I really want to break down some of the leftist reaction to this by people who are, um, you know, seasoned enough and famous enough to know better. So, like I said, there are. <laughs> a lot of people who should know a lot better that are talking complete gibberish when it comes to this Makai Bryant shooting and, and when it comes to the idea that, you know, teenage girls should just be allowed to have knife fights, you know, just like this is, I don't know, the, the Outsiders or, or, or West Side Story or something like that. So I want to play for you. This is... um Juan Williams, our, our favorite liberal on Fox. And the thing about Juan Williams is that when I told you in, in the previous segment that there are some people who literally filter every thought that they have in their mind uh, through whether or not, you know, they have a liberal or conservative perspective on anything, he's the resident Fox News liberal. And these are his resident Fox News liberal thoughts on this. Play Cut 17.
3: Well, I guess I would shoot the gun, not necessarily at somebody, but maybe shoot the gun and maybe, you know, run at the person and try to disarm them. I, I don't know. I mean, so wait, 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 you would shoot the gun life, in the air like a warning shot? Not well, hopefully to distract or to try to stall or something so I could oh. get or my partner oh. could get the, the knife away. I see is what I was say. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, taking I someone's would life work, is but pretty okay. strong. I don't either. I don't either, Jesse. I mean, Jesse, policing is tough work. Um, but all I'm saying yep. is, you know, I think I think that that woman with a knife is a danger to society It's certainly a danger to the other person. And we want her to stop and be disarmed. I just I just also think that killing a human is pretty radical. I don't think that's a good thing. But what I see overall here you know you asked me what i see i see people now using this ohio case which is messy as you and i just discussed to somehow really try to change the subject you know from what happened in minnesota with the chauvin uh guilty verdict
1: okay well <laughs> juan williams you know, juan williams is is really something else but but this is the yeah. conversation that we're having here and the the interesting thing to me is that um i you know I did an interview with a police officer for uh, my podcast, Rob Smith is Problematic. That'll be out in a couple of weeks. And uh, his name is Brandon Tatum, and I've got a clip from him uh, coming up a little bit later. But these people – and I've never been a police officer. What I have been is a soldier in Iraq. What I've been is a a soldier overseas. I I served in Iraq. I I deployed to Kuwait, Iraq. I did the whole thing. When you are in a life-and-death situation – And particularly when you're a police officer and you see someone literally about to get knifed, the adrenaline starts running through you. You have split second to make that decision. It's not the decision that somebody that is Monday morning quarterbacking in a TV studio that has never had to make a decision like that before has to make. And it is disingenuous for for people like juan williams to pretend that oh you know just you know shoot the gun in the air or, or you know just you know shoot the shoot the uh the the knife out of their hand or something like that it's completely ridiculous and now that this these more sides of the stories are are coming out now people are actually starting to talk sense people even don lemon don lemon On CNN, Don Lemon, who, who used to be, um, pretty much conservative, but, you know, since he started getting, uh, CNN paychecks and, and he's owned by the left now, he's become a leftist. Even Don Lemon has said that, you know, maybe we have to take a step back and maybe uh uh we have to think a little bit more about the situation because this isn't the case of just like this this girl wasn't just like standing there in some police officer was just like oh there's a little black girl let me shoot her this is not what happened but listen to don react don Lemon's reaction uh to the video play uh 15
3: there's a lot of anguish. Uh, people are very emotional right now but we've got to be fair about What happens when police arrive at scenes, it is tragic that it's a 16-year-old girl, just as it is tragic that it's a 13-year-old in Chicago. Um, When police are chasing people, they don't know how old they are. And they don't run and say, hey, how old are you? Oh, I'm 13. You know, my mom let me, you don't know that. Or I'm 16. When they roll up on a scene, they see people tussling around. Someone has a knife. And their job is to protect and serve every life on that scene. And if they see someone who is in the process of taking a life, what is that decision? What decision do they have to make? And I know that people say, well, you know, you could do this, you could do that. Tasers don't work the way guns work. Not, taser, at, that, not at that distance. Not at that distance. And, and not taser, with that amount of time. And that, yeah, all right. Tasers, then do, they don't always connect.
1: Now, Don Lemon, better watch out because, you know, when you start making sense, the, the, the woke lefties, they come after you. When you start making sense and when you start speaking anything outside of what they think that the right take on any circumstances, they start coming after you. And now, now, um, there, Sunny on the View kind of came after him a little bit, and it'll be very, it, it's very interesting to me the way in which she kind of flipped the story a little bit. Play cut twenty two. I want you to, I want you to understand exactly what she's doing here.
2: Also allegedly attacking her let's compare apples to apples let's compare this uh, young girl 16 or uh, 16 years old or 17 years old to other 17 year olds let's compare her to Kyle Rittenhouse video was taken 15 minutes before Rittenhouse allegedly shot and killed two people you know what officers did he was carrying an assault weapon Uh, The video shows the police shared water with him and thanked him for uh, uh, his presence. Also, after the shooting, he was able to leave the scene. Even though caught on video, he walked towards police with his hands up as protesters yelled that he had shot people. Let's also compare him to the Atlanta shooter, Robert Aaron Long. He was taken into custody without incident. And you know what the officer said that arrested him? the captain, that he was having a really bad day. How about comparing him to Dylan Roof? In June of 2015, he killed nine churchgoers. He was treated so kindly by police that he was taken to a Burger King. So was de-escalation a possibility here in this case? Not with this black girl. Not at all.
1: So this is deeply disingenuous, first of all. And I just wanna make you I, I want I want you to really be aware of the the racial narrative that that they're sort of putting right here. And the thing with the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, and, and this is what's going on here, is that Kyle number one, it was it was dumb of that kid to to take that gun and then travel state lines. He was that was self-defense. He walked towards police officers with his hands up. There was no there was no altercation. Like these police officers were not running into an altercation. And what they do Is they compare completely different situations that have really nothing to do with each other, except for the fact that they find some white person to compare it to in order to sort of push, push the racism, push the race agenda, push it, push it, push it. And the saddest thing about all of this stuff is that we never talk about the institutions that failed this young lady, Makai Bryant. She was a foster kid. She was, you know, basically in, in and out of homes. You know, her, her mother didn't even have the custody of her. So there were a lot of institutions that failed this young girl. But that police officer saved another young lady's life. So when we're talking about everything that's going on here, when we're talking about, you know, the police officers and, and demonizing the cops and all of this stuff that is going on right now, there is a demonization of police that is going on right now. It is coming from wealthy black liberal Hollywood celebrities like LeBron James, who, by the way, tweeted out a photo of this police officer that was involved in the Makai Bryant shooting, tweeted out a photo of this police officer saying literally, you're next, hashtag accountability. Awful. You know, still hasn't been penalized by Twitter. To me, something like that would seem like targeted harassment. But this is a pattern of people on the left demonizing police officers. And what I hate about this the most, um, this because it always comes from, from liberal black celebrities, is that it denies the existence of black cops. There are a lot of black cops around America serving these communities, putting their lives on the line. And this demonization is making things more dangerous for them as well and ted cruz ted cruz agrees i want you to listen um to ted cruz talking about this lebron james tweet uh play cut nine
4: well you know unfortunately this is a pattern where the left consistently goes after attacks and demonizes police officers and they do so often before the facts are known often before there's any evidence of what happened but their immediate reaction whenever there's an incident is the police officers in the wrong the police officer is is, is the villain in, in this instance your next uh, could, could, could certainly be interpreted by some even for as a call for violence and I think it was a grossly irresponsible message for LeBron James to send out and we've now seen the body cam footage from what occurred and, and by any measure it was a volatile situation. The, the, the woman who was, was killed was wielding a, a knife, was violent, appeared to be threatening the lives of others. And it may well be on an investigation that this police officer saved the life uh, of a potential victim of a knife attack. And, yeah. and, and 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 we should jump to conclusions. There needs to be an investigation. Anytime there is a shooting that takes someone's life, It should be investigated. The facts should be determined. But the left doesn't care about the facts. They care about demonizing and attacking law enforcement. And I think it's wrong.
1: He's absolutely right. The left doesn't really care about facts. Um, The left doesn't even really care about most of of these people that are involved in these shootings. Uh, You just look at how quickly um, they move on when things don't fit the narrative. And um, As a matter of fact, if the left cared so much Um, There was a a, a seven-year-old black girl, I believe her name was uh, Jaslyn Adams, that was killed in Chicago. You don't hear a peep about this. You never hear anything about um, these lives that were lost unless they were killed by a white police officer. And so Ted Cruz is absolutely right about this. And the question is, the question that I have is, what does this mean to police officers and their safety? And how they are seen by the communities in which they have to work when somebody as big as LeBron James, who has millions and millions and millions of followers on social media, when if LeBron James says something, it is global news. What does this do to their ability to do their jobs when he tweets this photo of this officer and says, you're next? What does it do when the most prominent black leaders in society make it a point? To demonize all police officers. And obviously they're demonizing the white ones because they, you know, look, people on the left need for African-Americans and for black people in America to feel like perpetual victims so that they can constantly maintain their control over them. And so for these people, for them to even... Um, recognize the existence of black police officers and even celebrate that and even celebrate these black police officers that put their lives on the line every single day in majority black communities to even acknowledge their existence is to go against the narrative that they're pushing. And now listen to noted race hustler, legendary race hustler. I, I think that he literally wrote the book on race hustling. This is Al Sharpton, and this is Al Sharpton talking about the police, and and, and this is what he has to say about the cops. Um, play cut five.
0: Well, the thing we don't know is the the circumstances in North Carolina. We don't know uh, everything about Ohio. Whether there was another way we could have dealt with it. The families reached out to us. We don't know uh, everything. We do know a knife was there. We know Dante. There was no knife. But the one thread between all of them and many other cases is the lack of trust in the criminal justice system and law enforcement. That's why you need the legislation. Every case, the police may not be wrong, but every case they're not right. And that is why there's such distrust because they've unilaterally always gone with the police. The police is right, don't question the police. When when I stood with, with uh, the Floyd family, the other night and heard the verdict and all of us broke out in tears. I thought about how I stood in courtrooms with the mother of Amadou Diallo and the mother of Sean Bell and Eric Garner and others that never even got a guilty verdict. Some in Eric Garner's case never even got to court. Michael Brown's case, Tamir Rice's case, they never even got to court. So, in many ways, people are saying, well, let's judge things one by one, which may be right, but then judge them one by one when the police kills a 12-year-old boy in Ohio. Then judge that one by one. The police have almost had immunity uh, in terms of some areas of law enforcement, and that needs to stop by federal law.
1: Now, do you notice... That all of these cases are always conflated with one another. And the Tamir Rice case was was awful, was horrifying. Obviously, police officers were in the wrong in that. And, and when that came out, if you're not a- aware of that, there was a there was a kid that was, uh, was like waving around a toy gun, I believe. And was shot and killed. He's 12, 13 years old, I think. But there is this conflation of all of these different situations that they use to push this narrative and push this agenda. And Al Sharpton, he was dragged all over the internet a couple of days ago because he was talking, you know, uh, he did a video, I'm on my way to Minneapolis fighting for justice. And, you know, and he's strutting to a private jet. And he decides, and he thinks in his mind that that's a good thing to put on Twitter. And this is why you want to talk about a lack of trust. I trust police officers more than i trust any of these race hustlers because they have been doing this over and over and over again for decades at this point they do not care that they are hurting black communities they do not care about the black lives that are lost because of gang violence or the black lives that are lost during the blm protests They do not care about these lives because these lives do not fit their agenda. These lives do not give them more political power. These lives do not give them more notoriety. So I trust them less and less. And I'm going to tell you, when you talk to real people in America, black, white or otherwise, particularly black Americans. These black liberal commentators that run around the cable news and, and, and talk all this gibberish They don't represent the vast majority of black Americans because the vast majority of black Americans have common sense, because this is common sense stuff that we're dealing with here. And I'm going to tell you something, the pattern of police officer hatred that. Is being normalized here hurts black communities. We have all of this demonization of police officers that we have people like, you know, Al Sharpton, you know, talking about, you know, the police are, they may not always be wrong, but they're never right. When we have all of this stuff. What does this do to the perception of police officers in these communities? And we'll just talk about the black communities. The pattern of police officer hatred hurts black communities. It, it really does. And I cannot overstate this enough. Because when you look at the communities that are the most over policed in America, these communities are majority African American because these are the most crime ridden communities out there, particularly the communities in the inner cities. And these are just facts. These are just facts. Because facts are facts, facts don't have an agenda. Facts don't have a narrative. Facts don't have a liberal or conservative bias. They're just facts. And the communities that are hurt the most by these are primarily African-American communities. And I'll tell you, what is going to happen when people start demonizing the police in this way and that they keep on doing it? What is going to happen? Police are going to start fleeing the cities. They are going to start leaving these cities behind. That is exactly what is going to happen. And there's an article from The Daily Caller basically dealing with record high murder rates. Philadelphia struggling to recruit police officers. A combination of the coronavirus pandemic putting police training on hold, a decreasing amount of people wanting to become police officers in big city and a spike in retirements have all contributed to the problem. This is coming from uh, John McNesby, who is the president of the Fraternal Order of Police um, in Philadelphia. So you have police officers who do not want to be cop. The, the, they are seeing the hatred that is coming up for police officers, and they are just retiring. They are saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I literally cannot think think of a more thankless job in the world right now than to be a police officer. Because everybody hates them. Nobody respects them. People think that they are the enemy. And this is what they are being told by LeBron James. This is what they are being told by these people in the media. This is what they are being told by you know people like Juan Williams on Fox News. And what is going to happen is the suburbs are going to start filling these spots. Now, in this article, they talk about Philly and how Philly can't get cops. Who would want to move to Philadelphia right now? Who would want to move to Philadelphia right now to be a police officer? What crazy person would want to do that? Would want to police the streets of Philadelphia right now or any large city? Detroit, Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Atlanta. Who would want to go to any of these large cities to police? These guys are moving to the suburbs. They are having no problem finding police officers. And this is what happens. And this is, you know, the uh, the director of this uh, Bucks County Police Training Center um, told the Daily Caller that uh, I do see a number of officers from some of the bigger cities like New York and Philadelphia. Yes. And this, uh, this person uh, also said that the Philadelphia Police Department is operating at dangerously low levels. So what happens when we have a society that demonizes police? These people do not want to do this job. They leave the cities that need them the most, and these cities get more and more dangerous. There is a shocking rise of violent crime in a lot of the cities in America, and you see it all over the place. If you want to take about, you want to think about New York, and for example. You want to see the real New York? Don't see you you ever notice how you don't see a whole lot about what it actually looks like on the streets of New York? You know, you see the people on the sets on MSNBC and then, you know, they're they're um you know coming in from their homes or from the studios or whatever, but you don't see anything that's really going on in the streets because violent crime is rising in New York. Violent crime is rising in Detroit, violent crime is rising in Philadelphia, violent crime is rising in these places because They are struggling to recruit police officers. Police officers do not want to do this job. They do not want to do this job. And here's the thing about the police officers, and the the demonizing in the black communities. Um, Candace Owens, gotta love her, has had a lot to say about this topic this week. And I I want to play you. This is something that... uh, that she said about police off policing right now and the police officers in just this this moment that we're in when it comes to policing. Uh, play uh, cut sixteen.
5: If that's what you want, if you would like for police officers to simply stop policing, raise your hand and let me tell you something. That's what you're going to get. Let me tell you something else. That wish is a racist one because we all know which are the neighborhoods that need the most policing. We all know that there are minority neighborhoods where the police are called, called the most to deal with violent crimes. We all know that this scenario is going to lead to more black death. So if you're a person who goes, well, we just got to meet police officers, you know exactly what you are doing. I don't blame police officers right now if they want to step down. I don't blame them. I, I, personally, I would almost respect if police officers went on strike. I would respect it. You know what? This, let, let the neighborhoods turn into Gotham City. Let, let the neighborhoods, let them riot, let them loot, let them burn. If they want to murder one another, and what, what would be the purpose of a police officer wanting to hold that badge, have that badge anymore, when this is how we treat them?
1: And I mean, she's absolutely right. She is absolutely right. Look, I I can't think of a more thankless job to do right now in the United States, other than being a police officer. You are risking your life every single day. You are walking down the street. People hate you. People hate you. I remember uh, last summer, a couple summers ago, and you will probably see Instagram and and Twitter videos and stuff like this, uh, people uh, running around shooting cops with uh, super soaker water guns. You know, some of them are filled with urine, throwing water balloons at them, filled with urine, stuff like that. This is how police officers are treated in these communities. And you know who is not bashing police? And you know who is not asking for less police? The people who actually live in these communities. The people who live in these communities are not asking for more police. It is just the wealthy, black, and white liberal elite that do not have to live in these neighborhoods. They get carted around from car to set to Martha's Vineyard to wherever. They do not have to live these lives. And I'm telling you something. They do not care about the neighborhoods that they are destroying with this rhetoric. They do not care because to these people, and this is the problem with liberalism. This is just the problem with liberalism in general, because you can say the right things, the quote unquote right things. They will say the things that will make them popular. They will say the things that will make all the other idiot seals clap. But these things are not real. And these things have a detrimental impact on the lives of the people in these communities. And it's a detrimental impact on the lives of these people in the communities that they claim to care for. Because you cannot care for the people in these communities. You cannot care for... People in inner city communities, you cannot care for people in, in rural crime-ridden communities. You cannot care about people and not tell them the truth. Because the truth is hard. The truth hurts. And the truth sometimes sucks. And you know what? The truth is not going to get you 10,000 retweets. And the truth may not get you you know, an invite to sit down and moderate a conversation with President Obama. And the truth certainly is not going to get you a primetime show on MSNBC. But the truth is the truth. Facts are facts. And if we continue to demonize the police in this way, if we continue to engender a culture in which people hate police officers and start to live it, create this real weird world in which all police officers are racist white people. As opposed to the the black people and the Latino people and the Asian people and all of these people that are also serving to keep the peace if we continue to fall down into this rabbit hole this is not going to end well and you see it happening with the police officers leaving the big cities you see it happen with the crime rising dc detroit atlanta la philly new york certain areas of brooklyn certainly the bronx and so these communities are the communities that are hurt the most so we have To start having a different conversation about this, and we have to start holding the media accountable, and holding these people who spout out this rhetoric more accountable for this stuff, because this is going to end up hurting these communities. And I told you about Brandon Tatum before he had a a very powerful statement that he made when he was speaking to a BBC news about this whole thing. And I'm going to get into that after the break. So we're going to be talking a lot about policing and a lot about everything that's going on this week, because this is what the national conversation is. People are talking about policing and people are talking about race and racism and all of that stuff. So let's talk about it. And the conversation about policing in America it is so racialized that we don't even cut through that conversation to talk about what reforms really should be made and really need to be made. We always go with the narrative and the narrative is not necessarily true. The narrative about policing and about you know black people and police officers in this country, the narrative would have you believe that black people walk around everywhere in every single place in this country With their lives in danger, because some cop could just run up to me at any moment and then just shoot me in the chest for no reason. Like I'm not running, I don't have a, I don't have a, a weapon. You know, I'm not resisting arrest. I'm not like they can just shoot me for no reason. That is absolutely false. But there is a conversation that needs to be had about some of the the levels of policing and some of the 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 processes. In procedures for policing. And that is a fair conversation to have. And, and so when we get into that, let's, let's sort of reframe this conversation right now. And I want to reframe it out of this idea that it is only black people, black Americans that are having these negative and potentially fatal encounters with police officers at all time. Because that narrative is not true. And I'm going to give you some statistics. And this is, this is from Fox News. And according to Fox News, this is fatal police shootings as of April 12th, 2021. Fifty two black Americans were shot and killed by police. Three of them were unarmed. One hundred and nine white Americans were shot and killed by police. Five of them were unarmed. So you have and this is what the facts are telling us that more white Americans than black Americans are shot and killed by police. More unarmed white Americans, as of 2021, this year, have been shot and killed by police that were unarmed. And so when we frame things like this and we think about this conversation, then it stops becoming about race and then it starts becoming a more difficult conversation and it becomes a more different conversation and I think a conversation... That may actually be valuable for us to have because it becomes a conversation that is not so tinged with race all the time. We have to start having the real conversation about some of these tactics, because even though the media will not tell you this, the media has no interest in white people killed by police. Whether they're armed or unarmed, they have no interest in that because it does not sell for them. It does not give you clicks. If you were listening to me yesterday, I told you that I worked in media. And I was doing these stories, you know, what I did was uh, was uh, I would find the story that was written and then I would use my voice and, and then, you know, we'd throw some video on it and put it out there. And in the summer, this was back in the summer of 2016, and they could not wait to find another story. Unarmed black person shot by police, unarmed black person shot and killed by police. They couldn't wait because this is what sold for them. And what doesn't sell for them is when we talk about stories about white Americans that were shot and killed by police. And I want you to listen to a man named Brandon Tatum. Brandon Tatum um, was a police officer and he has a a very large online platform. You can find him everywhere at the officer Tatum. And he's a really good resource because he speaks to these policing issues a lot. And I, I want you to listen to him because he has a different perspective on on all of this stuff and he went to uh bbc news with this perspective and i I think it's very interesting so uh play cut 19 we'll listen to this
0: so the rate of people being killed by police is the rate is higher amongst black people than amongst the rest of the population what do you how do you account for that is if that isn't a systemic racism problem
6: yeah, that's not, first of all, that's not true. Twice as many white people get killed by police every year. Twice as many white people are killed unarmed by police every year. You just don't see it. There's a gentleman named Tony Tempa. I guarantee you anybody watching me have no idea who Tony Tempa is. Tony Tempa was murdered in the same fashion that George Floyd was killed. But because he was white, we don't hear about it and nobody cares about it. Nobody's talking about police reform when he was suffocated and killed. But they only talk about it because George Floyd is black. Black people commit over half of violent crimes in this country and only make up 13% of the population. They commit um, over half of the murders in this country but only make up 13% of the population. And we can agree that 13% of the population aren't the criminals. There's only a small fraction of the black community that's doing this. So that explains why police are in the black communities more and that explains why black people are incarcerated more. They are making up lies saying that it has anything to do with racism. Do you understand that there's black police officers too that patrol in many of these majority black cities? Are they racist?
1: And of course, he is absolutely right. He is absolutely right. And when you break down the statistics, when you break down the facts and data, when you break down everything about all of this stuff and you see why, like I said earlier in the show, there is a reason why some of these black Americans are being overpoliced. You know, there's a reason why some of these communities have more police officers in them. There is a reason why some of these African-Americans have more negative police officer interactions. And this crime rate is the issue. This crime rate is the problem. And the issue that I have with the left as they try to quote unquote fix this problem. They wanna fix everything by legislation. They wanna fix everything by legislation. You cannot legislate morality. You cannot legislate a good upbringing. You cannot legislate two parents in the household. You cannot legislate somebody not interacting or acting out with violence. You cannot legislate things like that. No matter how much the, the left tries to do it. You cannot legislate this stuff. And you cannot ignore the structural issues when it comes to um, the, the black family, when it comes to um, educational system. When you come to all of this stuff, like you can't discount all of that stuff. And you can't always put the onus on police officers and you can't always put the onus on the federal government or people that are on federal payrolls or state payrolls or whatever to raise these kids. Because these kids are not doing well. Those young, those two young teenage girls in uh, in D.C. that carjacked the Uber driver killed him. Killed this Uber driver. They were more worried about her, their phones. This young lady, Makai Bryant, who was obviously failed by the system in some way, shape, or form, but was still on her way to to literally stab another teenage girl. This stuff is not going to be fixed with legislation. Now granted, some of the processes need to be reformed, but you cannot legislate morality. You cannot legislate how these parents are raising their kids. You cannot legislate a a household. You cannot legislate what a two-parent household would mean to a lot of these kids that are in trouble. But I do want to get into some of these ideas that they have for police reform. So now that we have talked about policing, and we've talked about all of this other stuff, and, and I've really wanted to broaden out the conversation to make it not so explicitly focused on race, because I believe that we lose something. When we explicitly focus this stuff on race. But that is not to say that there may be some issues with policing here. And like I said, you know, there's, there's this whole saying when, uh you know, when white America gets a cold, uh, black America gets pneumonia. Right. So these issues that are happening with policing are definitely valid for white Americans. I just told you in the last segment, I just told you there are statistically more white Americans killed by cops, both armed and, and unarmed in the United States of America so far this year. So there's something to this, and I really wanna break this down, and I really wanna have this conversation and try to understand it. So um, Attorney General Mer- Merrick Garland, now this was after the Chauvin case uh, was aside after he was found guilty, um, he announced that his Justice Department is investigating policing practices in Minneapolis after George Floyd's death. I want you to listen to what he had to say about this. You can play a uh, cut too.
3: Yesterday's verdict in the state criminal trial does not address potentially systemic policing issues in Minneapolis. Today, I am announcing that the Justice Department has opened a civil investigation to determine whether the Minneapolis Police Department engages in a pattern or practice of unconstitutional or unlawful policing, I know that justice is sometimes slow, sometimes elusive, and sometimes never comes. The Department of Justice will be unwavering in its pursuit of equal justice under law.
1: Okay, so this is interesting. Um, This is interesting. So if you remember Back to Ferguson, back to when the the BLM movement and all that stuff started in Ferguson, Missouri. This is back in uh, 2015. There was a similar DOJ report in Ferguson. And I think this is interesting because I'm going to get into this because I've never said, like I said, I'm not not your typical conservative. I, you know, support the cops back to blue and all this stuff. I've never said that these issues in policing do not exist. And that they do not um, affect African-Americans, they affect African Americans, White Americans, everybody. This is something that I really do believe we should all be talking about. And so, I just want to share with you. Um, There's a few takeaways from the DOJ report um, in Ferguson from 2015. There were, you know, racial disparities in traffic stops. So, from 2012 to 2014, 85% of people stopped, 90% of people who received the citation, and 93% of people that were arrested were black. Uh, Black drivers are more than twice as likely as their white counterparts to be searched during vehicle stops, but 26% less likely to have contraband. So these disparities exist. And this has become, like I said, almost a, a bipartisan conversation. Because if disparities in the criminal justice system were not a bipartisan conversation, if this wasn't a conversation that people like Senator Rand Paul have been having for quite some time. Um, then the the First Step Act, which was the most comprehensive criminal justice reform in a generation, would not have passed under the Trump administration. So this happened under Trump. That did not happen under Obama, as much as they would want you to believe that. And, and I know that the left is probably going to try to memory hole this. But the First Step Act happened under President Trump. And like I said, there are a lot of Republicans that have spoken out about this. As a matter of fact, um, Senator Rand Paul, I was on Capitol Hill lobbying for the, the for the First Step Act. Um, I we, we flipped Ted Cruz from a no to a yes. They had to change a couple of things out for uh, Senator Cruz. And Senator Paul um, sat down with us in his office. It was me um, and a group of, of other young black conservatives that were really lobbying for the First Step Act. And Senator Rand Paul is an ally. Senator Rand Paul is on it. When it comes to this, and he knows, just as I do, just as you do, that this is stuff that affects all of us. These issues with policing, these questions that we have about the tactics and the systems and all of that stuff, this stuff affects us all. So, yes, these disparities exist, but the hypocrisy of the left is that they have no real interest in really taking any action when there's not a Democrat in charge. You will remember, I'm old enough to remember, when Senator Tim Scott, the the great Senator Tim Scott, had a police reform bill that was ready to go. He had taken into consideration all of the things that the activists were saying. He wanted to do things in a way that were respectful of police officers and what they do, but not demonizing them on the way that in the way that the left does. There's a lot of different things that he brings to the table about this. But as soon as the Democrats took the House, they would not even allow for remarks about this they would not even address it and that is the interesting thing to me that the left says up and down back and forth that they want all of this stuff for for all of america they want this stuff for black america they want uh, criminal justice reform and they want police reform and they want all of these different things and when it is presented to them when a republican is in office they do not even want who look at it they do not even want to bring it up and for me looking at the trump administration looking at every single thing that was going on and looking at people like senator tim scott trying to do the right thing and in seeing him rebuffed by the democrats and, and by the left when he brought this up is kind of insane and i want you to play this was Tim Scott talking about this bill at the time. This was, uh, and, and this is him talking about his interaction with police, because what this does is this humanizes um, his interactions a little bit. And I want you to, to play cut 20.
6: In the course of one year, I've been stopped seven times by law enforcement officers. But the vast majority of the time, I was pulled over for nothing more than driving a new car, in the wrong neighborhood, or some other reason just as trivial. I also think about the uh, experiences of my brother, who became a command sergeant major in the United States Army, the highest rank for an enlisted soldier. He was driving from Texas to Charleston, pulled over by a law enforcement officer who wanted to know if he had stolen the car he was driving because it
1: was a Volvo. So that's Tim Scott talking about his experience with this, right? And I think, and let me tell you something about Tim Scott. I it was, uh, was, had the, the pleasure and the honor of being on a panel with the senator. This was, uh, last, this was in 2020 before the lockdowns happened. And he is a very soft-spoken man, but he carries a lot of dignity, but also wields a lot of power and a lot of authority. So when he speaks to these issues, it is not hyperbolic. He is not demonizing police. He is speaking of these things in a way in which he can bring the country together on these issues. And if we do not figure out a way to bring the country together around issues like policing, around issues like. The procedures that are in place. If we do not do this, we will fall as a country because it is too tenuous right now. This con- These conversations that we're having right now um, are, are too tenuous. And this needs cooler heads to prevail. I believe that Tim Scott is one of them. And I'm going to tell you what he wants to do about this now, right after the break. So Tim Scott is actually trying to make a difference. And by the way, what we, we're speaking about, uh, Tim Scott, he is going to deliver the Republican rebuttal to. Uh, President Biden's address I believe this is next Wednesday so he's gonna deliver the Republican rebuttal he is uh he's somebody to watch on the Republican side he's definitely somebody to watch for 2024 though my personal favorite is Ron DeSantis so but he is somebody to watch because he can really speak very eloquently about these issues in a way that is designed to unite and not designed to divide. I think that is the most important thing And so now, when I told you that he had had this police reform bill that was up last summer, it was ready. The Democrats would not see it because they had taken back the House. But now he told this is from Axios. So Senator Scott told reporters that he plans to reintroduce this bill or a similar proposal in the coming weeks and that he has discussed a compromise with Karen Bass out of California and, Cory Booker, and Senator Cory Booker out of New Jersey. Uh, Karen Bass, a representative from California. So these after when the George Floyd death and and all of that stuff was happening last summer, um, Democrats and and Republicans introduced two different bills. Um, Neither bill gained enough to support to become law. And the debate this from Axios largely devolved into partisan bickering, which is exactly what (laughs) a lot of our lovely elected representatives do in Washington, D.C. They bicker. I think that all of America is ready for. These people to actually take some action, because I do not believe that this is something that it this is so often made a partisan issue because the rhetoric from the left is so divisive. It is so nasty. It is so crazy because their crazies get a lot more attention than the crazies on the right. We on the right, we do a pretty good job at, at, at tamping down our crazies or just not giving them attention. But there are a lot of crazies on the left and they say crazy things that are not good for America because they do not want people to come together to come to, to come together. They want people to remain divided. Division is their bread and butter division. this is what these people want, right? So I think that if Senator Tim Scott works with these Democrats, we can figure out something. Is this going to shut the far left up? No. But people need to come together and we need to compromise and we need to realize that this is a conversation that we're happening that is happening right now. And people on the right and the left need to figure it out. And this is what he says um, when it comes. This is what Tim Scott says when it comes to, to this bill. Um, he wants victims and victims families to be able to sue police departments. He says, um, enabling victims and victims families to go after the departments is a way that I think we can make progress towards a bill that actually has a kind of impact that I think is helpful. Um, so in, in, he says that he only has a couple of outstanding issues from his perspective. I would be very interested to see what they have to bring to the table. What I do not want to see is this George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, because I do not think that we should be naming federal legislation after someone with the history that George Floyd has. And I am so tired, and, and Candace will say this, and I will say, that I am so tired of making these people martyrs and icons. This person that was robbing people, this person that held a gun to a pregnant woman, something, all of this stuff. But this is what, you know, the, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that is coming from the left would do. Ban no-knock warrants in federal drug cases. Um, Encourage local and state agencies to comply by tying bans to federal funding. In qualified immunity, which protects law enforcement officers from most civil lawsuits. Make it easier to prosecute police officers accused of misconduct by lowering the legal standard from willfulness to recklessness. Prohibit racial, religious, and discriminatory profiling by law enforcement agencies at the local, state, and federal levels and mandate training against such discriminatory profiling. Note that this training against profiling, that is CRT, critical race theory, crap, that does not need to go into law. Because let me tell you something. When you mandate this kind of training against profiling, this turns into critical race theory crap. And when the law has that, that's just another government grift. I do not like that. I do not like that. Require local and state police agencies to use existing federal funds to ensure the use of body cameras. Yes. Require all federal uniformed officers to wear body cameras. Yes. And I will tell you why I agree with that. We've just been talking a lot about Micaiah Bryant earlier today. Imagine the narrative that the media would have been allowed to run with had we not had video from two separate angles of that incident. Imagine how that would have been reported. Imagine the unrest that would be going on right now in Columbus, Ohio, even more so than there is now because there are still people that are protesting, there's still people that are out there, you know, doing, you know, say Micaiah Bryant's name, like all that stuff. Even though everybody saw the video. So imagine how that would look if there were no body camera. And here's another thing. Create a national police misconduct registry to prevent police officers who are fired or pushed out for bad performance from being hired by other agencies. Yes, yes, yes. And I have to tell you guys, this is not in some of this stuff. This is not liberal or conservative. And what we have to start realizing now is we evolve this this conversation from partisan BS is that this stuff will serve to help all Americans. I just gave you the statistics about white Americans and black Americans when it comes to this stuff. White Americans are affected by this stuff, too. Every day, actually, every single day. And so you can have reforms to this system without demonizing police. You can have reforms to the procedures and the structures and all of that stuff and do it without engaging in the hatred of police officers. You can be honest and be real and say that some of these things need to be addressed. Without devolving into the leftist conversation that says that all police officers are white racist killing machines that go into work every single day looking for some more black people to kill. I think that you can do both of these things. And I think honestly that. If we get the grownups in the room, the grownups in D.C., there are a few. There are a few grownups left in D.C., not very many, but a few. We get Senator Tim Scott in here, Rand Paul in here, these people in here to sit down, to hammer something out, this will be a good start towards cleaning up this public conversation. And what we need to start doing is stop being so reflexive as, oh, since we're conservative, we just have to, we back the blue at all costs and all that stuff. Life is more complicated than that. Or because you're on the left, that all police officers are white racist killing machines look to looking to kill blacks. These conversations are more complex than this. They really, really are. And complex decisions and complex situations require moderate and complex solutions. You may not like that. You may think that I'm not being conservative enough, or that I'm not being Republican enough, um, that I'm not making enough sense, or maybe I'm making too much sense. But here's the thing about me. Like I said, my podcast is called Rob Smith is Problematic. I am a very problematic individual. But I think that if we get the grown-ups in charge in D.C. to sit down and hammer something out, we can find a way to not only fix the issues that are happening here, but we can also find a way to fix the public discourse and to right the ship around how too many Americans see our police officers. Before we go, I want to thank my fellow problematics so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at RobSmithOnline. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Kliegman, and executive producers, Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network.